second reading today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 and 5. So it'll be on round about page 1129 somewhere. Three and four, is it? It is. I'm jumping ahead of myself. Since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet God's power will live with him to serve you. That is the word of the Lord. We are um, slowly stepping through this chapter in 2 Corinthians and we're dealing with sanctification and the parts and bits and pieces that are very much part of that sanctification and what is happening within you. We're dealing today with the authority, the authority in sanctification. Again, Paul is somehow is defending his authority, his God-given authority as an apostle commissioned in person, face-to-face with Jesus Christ at Damascus. And as Christians, and as true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and people trusting the Holy Scriptures to be factually the very words of God, we will undoubtedly at some stage through that find that we may be out of step with other people also, however, claiming to be Christians. People that really do not hold to the authority of the Holy Scriptures as a supreme rule of faith and life. Indeed, there are faith groups out there today that claims that the writings and the dictates of their own leaders, both past and present, override, indeed, the authority of God himself. And Paul, of course, as we now know, during the first century had to battle this problem as we also do even today. So today we will look at this authority which is also centrally included in the process of your sanctification, the maturing of your faith. But let us indeed, let us pray for open hearts to receive his word and his teaching that we may come to understand it in the very depth of our heart. Let's pray. Our loving and gracious Father, we do come to you to ask that you, through your Holy Spirit that you so lovingly placed in our hearts, that we will have open hearts and minds, that we will truly come to understand that you are the authority. You have all authority in heaven and on earth and that we need to accept it and love it and rejoice in the truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we read in Philippians 1.6, Be confident of this, that he who began the good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That good work in you is the ongoing renewal of your very being. 
the sanctification of you that will come to completion on the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, whatever that day that may be. This whole process is driven from within you by the Holy Spirit that's dwelling within you, in your heart. He, the Holy Spirit, the third party to the Holy Trinity, is also making it abundantly clear to you each and every day that all authority and all wisdom rests in God's holy word, which is, of course, scriptures, as is it given to us. It's given to us through his prophets and apostles, and obviously we also know that Jesus is the word. And we are told that even in John 1.1 in the gospel. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So Jesus was there in the beginning, in creation. Jesus was with the God the Father, and Jesus, we know, is God. Everything Paul says and does is indeed centered on that Christ. And our lives equally, however, should also be about serving the Lord and about pleasing the Lord with the way we live. But we don't truly do this, of course, unless we recognize who he is and acknowledge that he does have total authority over us, over each of us, our lives. And people generally, and we know this, I mean, people don't like not to have this independence and the power, the power to decide what's going to happen today, tomorrow, where I'm going and how I live my life. Well, we are, for example, we find people, they're speaking of uh, a five and ten year plans in their lives. You know, they, they brag about where they will be and how much they will have in five and ten years from now, where they will go on holidays, what resorts they will stay at. And this is an argument that's been going on since the very, very beginning of time indeed. And it was discussed solidly during the days even of Luther and Calvin back in the 1600s. They both wrote books about just about understanding what it means to have free will. The argument for free will states that God did not create us as robots. And we were given free will, and strictly speaking, that is true, up to a point. We have free will. Adam and Eve, as an example, they had free will in the full. They had a free will to choose to either eat the fruit or not to eat the fruit. Whatever they chose to do, however, has become our choice as well. Or maybe should I say, what they chose has become your burden. The theologians of old will confirm that you do in fact have free will, uh, but just not when it comes to salvation. If you recognize your own state of sinfulness, you will also be able to accept that you just really can't make really good decisions. Paul writes even about this in Romans. He says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does God, not even one. Paul gets this from the Psalms 
David wrote in 53.3, Everyone has turned away. All have become corrupt. There's no one who does good, not even one. Not me, not you, not anyone. So if you and I accept that we are no good in a godly sense, uh, then we need to understand the line that we have in that verse 11 where it says, there is no one who seeks God. This truth is what brings us back on track, that the speaking of the authority that God holds. You and I won't choose God. Not by ourselves, we won't. But he, the creator of the universe, he holds all authority in heaven and on earth and he can, if he so desires, he can call you to be his, which is what he did before creation, simply by placing your name in a book of life, way back then. By his authority that happened, it is by this authority that now Paul speaks. In verse 3, since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. See, when he says powerful among you, yes, he has the power to change people. The very words Paul is giving them in the Corinthian church and to us holds the truth of life in them. And they, God's words, have the authority and the power to change, change even the hardest of hearts. And Paul, of course, claims to be one of those with the hardest of hearts. Paul writes to the Thessalonian church in much the same manner. So his, his themes runs through a lot of his letters, the same thing. In 1 Thessalonians 4, he writes, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of Lord Jesus Christ. By the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is never, ever taking the authority on himself. He always makes sure that everyone knows that he's doing this and it rests fully in Jesus Christ. So where did Jesus then get all of this authority that he has now passed on to Paul? Well, Jesus tells the disciples in Matthew 28. He says, then Jesus came to them and said... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is the Son of God speaking. This is God. The Father had bestowed all authority on the Son, and this became evident in the manner that Jesus spoke and in the way he taught the disciples and the people around them. In Mark 1.27 we read, The people were also amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. Of course, we also have all the miracles performed by Christ that defies all laws of nature, proving that he has deity, he has authority over all of creation. The most concise, probably, understanding that all of this that we can read 
comes probably, in my view, from Colossians 1. For in him, Christ, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. When Jesus presents himself before Paul, at that time also bestowed his authority onto Paul, and he had previously done with the other apostles. We remember he sent the apostles out with power to heal. We do not today have this same authority, but we have the same responsibility. That implore us to preach this authority in churches that we have different roles in how we are to serve the Lord. And Paul writes to the Ephesian church about just that. He says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's the responsibility and the purpose. Because it is based on the authoritative word of God, true biblical preaching also carries authoritativity. The preacher's goal always is to make people not feel good about themselves, neither is it to entertain them. His preaching is simply to purpose, of God's word, to call for repentance and obedience, purpose, and for the people then to submit to the authority of scripture that is being preached to them, or they can reject it. This is much the same when we share the gospel with unbelievers in evangelistic terms. God does not share his message as an option to be considered. Or for that matter, a suggestion that you might like to repent. God's commands all people everywhere should repent. And that is the message right through all the gospels. It is not an option. If we want to be with God and we know who he is and we recognize him through the guiding of the Holy Spirit, there can be nothing else but repentance. That is a recognition of God's authority. So when we get to verse 4, which says, For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power we will live with him and serve you. All of our sins were loaded onto Christ. And he was crucified in our weakness, but he was raised in God's power by the Holy Spirit. And it is all and, and it is and always will be that we live with him by God's power and indeed by his authority. It isn't always easy for a new Christian to grasp all of these things and to accept unconditionally all of this sort of teaching that we're speaking of today. It's not even easy for a man and woman 
after years and years of having read his word, to come to grasp this truth as theirs. And it may well not be until that day of Christ that any of us, any of us, that truly and fully comprehend the fullness of this truth. But that is what your sanctification is all about. It's a period over a lifetime where all we reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and it is then at the end of that life that we then become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's when that happens. We could go on now and look at struggle Paul's having with getting this message and the truth across to the Corinthian church, and it probably would be a benefit for us for sure, and we may well do that, but that will be another day. But at the end of the day, for you and I, we will now have to grow and mature for at a rate and the speed of the Holy Spirit is allowing us for a church to live in harmony and to nurture each and every congregant, we at least must hold to the fact that the Holy Scriptures is the authoritative word of God and not just the opinion on a whole bunch of men written down over thousands of years. We truly must accept every word in every book, in every letter in the Bible, that it agrees with every other word everywhere else in the Bible. And that they are all the divine inspired word of God for our benefit. If pastors and elders are to call a church to repentance and effect discipline on those who refuse to repent, they need to possess divine authority to do so. That authority rests solely in the word of God as they preached it making it essential that the word be preached and applied clearly, compellingly, and, of course, with conviction. These are the issues we're going to be studying over the next few verses in chapter 13. The matter of authenticity in, in worship and how those who are called into question and persistently reject the authority of Scripture call into question even the genuineness of their own salvation. If you don't recognize God's authority over you, then what have you got? In the meantime, during this coming week, it'll be worthwhile for you and me to consider how we stand before the Lord and to what extent we also accept his authority over your life. I wonder, I don't know how often you do that, but it's a difficult one. And we can only ask and we can pray that may he, the Lord, provide you with much clarity and may he bless you with great wisdom through the guiding of the Holy Spirit that you may know that God holds all authority. Let us pray. Our loving Father, we ask that you will indeed make these things abundantly clear in our hearts and our minds that we each day may reflect on the authority that you have due to the fact that you are the creator of the entire universe, the world, and us. 
that all that authority just rests with you and in your word. That as we read it, we will abide by it. That as we read it, we will come more and more to understand who your son is. And as we read it, we will come to understand that it is us that caused you to have to send your son to hang on a cross and die for our sins. It is with all these things in our minds, Lord, that we will come to you with true repentance and we will recognize you as our God, our Savior. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.